0: All right, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Last week, we began a a few weeks, we're going to do about three, I think it's about three weeks, could be four, but three weeks study on prayer and preparation for our our week of prayer, which we have a few times throughout the year. Um, But February 2nd, will begin our first one of 2020. And so last week we talked about the promise of answered prayer. We were told how not to pray, right? Don't pray with pride and wanting to be seen and wanting to be heard by people. We talked about not praying with empty babbling. uh, To pray recognizing that God is our Father. And that we should pray recognizing the authority of our Father. He is where? He's in heaven. And so these were the, the four points that we made last week. Today we'll get through three more of them. And as that pray, knowing God is holy, pray to carry out God's plan and pray for God's provision. So let's read this section of Scripture, beginning at verse 9, and then we'll, we'll dive in. It says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So hallowed be your name. There's three imperatives um, as we begin here. It's, it's um, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So there's three verbs that are imperatives, which means these are our commandments. You pray like this. There's an emphasis that the Lord is giving to us. And it's like, before you do anything else, begin by setting your mind and engaging in prayer like this. To hallow simply means to show great respect or reverence or awe. It comes from the word um, uh, holy. And, and that's the idea that we're talking about. Um, we first are introduced to this idea that He is our Father. And of course, we know in in, uh, Romans that the Spirit helps us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so there's this tender picture that we have with the Lord. But then immediately, the Lord also says, but make sure you have a reverence and an awe. So there's an intimacy and there's a relationship that is tender with our Father. And yet we still must have reverence and we still must have an awe we are told in Hebrews to come boldly into the throne room of grace, to receive mercy and help in our time of need. And so we we hear that call and our hearts are drawn in. But we must be careful as we go into the throne room of grace that we don't make the same error that the early Israelites made in the early chapters of Isaiah, chapters 1 and 2, where they're coming to the temple to worship the worship God. And yet the Lord says, Who's required this of you? Who's asked you to come and trample my courts? Well, technically you have asked us to come into the temple and to worship, but not in the manner in which they were coming. Their their lips were drawing near to the Lord, but what? Their heart was a million miles away. And he says, your hands are covered with blood, child sacrifice they were engaged in, all kinds of idolatry, um, oppression, and bribery, and um, corruption in the government. And he says, you come to worship me in this way, but who's asked you to come? I didn't ask you to come like this. And so we, yes, he's our father, and the throne room of grace is open, and we should feel welcome to come in, but we must regard the name of our God as holy. We can go to another Old Testament story. If you turn to Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, I'd like to read to you. And I think I would encourage you to read this entire chapter around this event because there's a lot of things to be seen here. But it's early on in the history of Israel. It's um, a time when they had just began to engage in worship at the tabernacle. And the Lord sees sin and he's going to make a strong point. He's going to make a point of emphasis with two of Aaron's sons. So we read in verse 1, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. I think we could say, For those who come near me, I must be hallowed. I must be regarded as holy. And before all the peoples, I must be glorified. And then we read this line. So Aaron held his peace. Aaron realized, my sons have sinned against God. And so he didn't whine and he didn't complain. He held his peace because he knew of the greatness of God. Later on in this chapter, we find out that there's instruction on how the priests should interact and, and not come before the lord with um, you know strong wine indicating maybe these guys came in and they were buzzed you know they were drunk and they came in before that the lord and who knows maybe in this drunken state maybe they decided to tamper a little bit with the the recipe for the incense that was to be uh, uh put in these censers and that the lord's like you got and the Lord struck them down dead. Fire came out, devoured them. And so they are welcome. They were required to come before the Lord. They're were, they were invited, but not to come however they wanted to. And yes, he's our Father, but he is to be hallowed. And so if we hear, oh, he's our Father, and he's forgiving, and he's merciful, therefore I can go sin, you don't know anything about the grace of God. You don't know the first thing about the one you say you know. Because that is the exact opposite of what the Spirit of God works in a person's life when they are confronted with the grace of God and the mercy of God. This is what Scripture says. It's His kindness that leads us to, what's that? Ah, so God's grace and mercy and kindness does not lead me to go sin more. God's grace, mercy and kindness humbles me. It un- it you know makes me undone before Him with gratitude and thanksgiving, and now I want to seek after Him with all my heart. Now I want to pursue Him, and so this is what the Lord is wanting to say, um, in our in in this teaching on prayer. Yes, He's your Father, and He's in heaven. He has authority and He has power. But make certain you hallow Him. You know, in the Old Testament, we can find a couple of places where like in Ezekiel, God said, I will make my name holy in their midst. And there's other places where he says that we should make his name holy. So there are moments where God will show up and he will just manifest himself. And this will happen when he establishes his kingdom upon the earth. He will make his name holy. There are those who don't revere him. There's those who blaspheme him. But the day will come when Jesus returns and he will make his name holy in everybody's heart and mind, and they will all bow, and they will confess that He is Lord. doesn't mean they're all going to be saved, though, but they're going to see His greatness, and His name will be hallowed. But there's a way in which we can hallow the name of the Lord. Not that we're going to add to it, but that we acknowledge it properly and, and truthfully, that we see it happening in each other's life. And one way this happens is in our praise and worship. This is what we just did. We're lifting up the name of the Lord in song, and that, has, uh, uh, that makes the name of the Lord great, those that hear that. But our lives must be in alignment with what we sing. Our lives must be in alignment with what we pray. And so we can say, oh, I love the Lord, but if we don't obey Him, He says, that I'm not so convinced of it. And we can say the name of the Lord is holy, but if we live and walk in unrighteousness, there's, there's a, a dissonance that exists. You know, the team was up here and they did a great job leading us in in worship and they played skillfully as unto the Lord. But if they decided, you know, the people on instruments decided to play whatever chord they wanted, it wouldn't have sounded like music. It would have sounded like what? Noise. It would have been like, oh, that's bad. Oh, I can't, you know, oh. It would have sounded like noise because there's not harmony between the instruments And the Lord wants harmony between the things that we say and our heart and the way we live. And when that is tuned to the Lord, it is beautiful to Him. So yes, we are to come to Him as our Father. And we are welcomed into His presence, but we never forget to hallow His name, to regard Him as holy. And I I will say, this is my own experience, okay? The when we think about prayer, and this is kind of what we're talking about here is prayer, and um, you know we don't like to say it out loud because we don't sound spiritual, but a lot of people think prayer is boring. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? Just you can like yeah, okay. So prayer is boring. How can that be? To have an experience with the eternal God, who's made everything, who actually made you and He made me, He made us, with this unique desire to encounter Him, and to pray to Him, and fellowship with Him. How is it that it's boring? Well, I, I, I don't know all the reasons why, but I can tell you one that I know is not. It's not Him. If we encounter God, and that is not an experience of a lifetime, and it's not something that is comforting and you know it's, it's not a statement about him it's a statement about the pastor or it's a statement about the one leading the prayer group or it's a statement about the worship team but it's not a statement about him it's a statement about us because he is awesome and so when we spend more time in praise and worship and, and focusing our mind on who our God is it's much easier to pray So we start out with saying, you know, our father and thinking about him in heaven and hallowing his name. And so we're putting a heavy emphasis at the beginning. Jesus is saying, put this emphasis at the beginning of your prayer where it's worship and it's praise. And now when you get to the petitions, we've made God great. And just by doing that, we have made our petitions small. They shrink in the presence of his greatness and the presence of his beauty. But when we reverse the order, and you know we, we have our petitions, and we're told to have them. So I'm not saying um, you know, throw away your, you know, your, your prayer list, especially if I'm on it. Please, I need all the prayer I can get. <laughs> so I'm not saying that, but we need to have it in its proper order. And the proper order is the greatness of God. So one thing, and I'm not saying we, we accomplish this every time, but it certainly is in our hearts to is that in our Sunday night prayer, we call it our encounter service because we want to encounter God. We put a strong emphasis and weight of time in just praise and worship and singing to the Lord and thanking the Lord and making Him great. And then we come into our petitions. um, And I just think this is so much better of a way to pray. And so, yes, let's make the name of the Lord great. We move on in verse 10. And we come to the next point that says, pray for God's will to be accomplished. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. So there's two more imperatives here, and I'm just going to lump them together into one single point, And that's pray for God's will to be accomplished or discover God's plan. God, what are you up to? What is it that you are wanting to do? And that's what I want to do. Our prayers should be concerned with the kingdom of God. Our prayer should be concerned with the plan of the Lord. Our prayer should be all about what is your will? What is heaven desiring? Because that's what we desire to do here. So often when we pray, we see prayer as a vehicle for us to get what we want accomplished in our lives. Now, God will use prayer to do things in our lives. I'm not going to dispute that. But if that's how we think of prayer, we've got it twisted up. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's to come and to experience the Lord and His beauty and His glory and then to have His will discovered while we are praying. Too often we get our desires in front rather than God's desire. What is the kingdom? The kingdom of God is anywhere where the lordship of Jesus Christ is acknowledged and confessed. Do you acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ? then the kingdom of God has come to you and it's established in your heart and it's established in your life. You're king of my life. Then that's the kingdom of God. That's where it is. Now he's going to come and establish a physical kingdom and there's more to come even beyond that. But I mean, in the simplest form, it's where the lordship of Jesus Christ is acknowledged. Your kingdom comes. So in my life, there is a, a small part of your kingdom, Lord, would you accomplish what you want? And maybe this is why we don't see prayers being answered. James four three says, "You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures." You see, prayer is not about me getting my you know wish list checked off. Is it a place for me to come for my daily needs and for protection and all the? Rest? It absolutely is. But we can get focused upon the wrong thing. And last week, we spent at the front end, we looked at seven different verses that talked about us coming and praying and asking the Lord for whatever we wanted. And there's one of those references up there on the screen right now, John 14, verses 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And we listen and we look at that and like, well, doesn't that mean we can come ask the Lord for anything and he's going to do it? And then I, really, it's like he becomes a genie in, in you know, in the bottle, except we don't just get three wishes. We get unlimited wishes from. G- That's not who he is. He's not that. Who did he say, ask whatever you will to? He Said it to his disciples. Who were his disciples? These were men that left their businesses. These were men that left family. These are men that when Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross and deny yourself. And they said, we're all in. We'll take up the cross. Don't know what it really means yet, but we're all in. And we will deny ourselves." These are the men that he knew that would take the gospel mission and they would lay down their lives and they would go into the world. And to these who said, your kingdom is more important than my life, he says. Ask whatever you want. Makes a big difference, that, context, that contextual point, doesn't it? It's those that are following him. It's those that are giving their lives away already. And he says, you can ask. But James says, we don't receive because we ask amiss. Now, it doesn't mean if you haven't got the answer to the prayer that it's automatic that you've asked amiss. Maybe it's just timing, as we talked about in our study last week broad promises given to his disciples whatever we ask the lord to do in the name of jesus he says i'm going to do we actually read this even here in back in our text in matthew chapter 6 hallowed be your name so if you ask anything in my name hallowed be your name what's what's this whole idea with the name is it just the simple is it the is the sound of his name that is, is so significant? And it's not that. You know, we put a lot of emphasis upon the way a name sounds. Oh, I like the way that sounds. But that's not the way it was working in the ancient world. What was is they would choose a name that was going to be based upon a person's character, upon something that they believed that would represent what their life was going to be. About. A lot of thought. And you go through and you see the, uh, the naming of uh, children. A big deal. And so when we talk about a name, we're not just talking about how do I know who you are. It's not that. It's who are you? Who are you? Who is your person? Who is your character? And so when he says you can ask whatever you want in my name, it means in agreement with my character and my person. If you went over on Monday and pulled up and went over to the building and got all that lumber in there and all of this, these materials and you walked up and said, hey, I'm here to pick all this stuff because um, Troy said I could. I can tell you, th- those guys are going to say, no, nah, that's not happening. Troy didn't say that. We know Troy and he wouldn't say that. No, in the name of Troy, he said I could have it. Oh, you can talk as loud as you want. You can put all kinds of spiritual emphasis on it. And is not going to change. That is not my, that's not an agreement with my character. That's not, I mean, this is not what I would want. I want them to use it. I want that to be built there and not for you to build your shed, okay? <laughs> so, so and the name means an in in agreement with the way he would do it. And so, it's almost like saying, you know, you know, Lord, I pray that you would give me opportunity to go do this and that or have this or whatever, and just the way you would do it. Well, it kind of changes things now, doesn't it? Because you're saying just the way you would do it, just the way you would want it. Because it's an agreement. So it's not just simply, oh, wow, I forgot to say in the name of Jesus. <laughs> That's it's, it's not it. It's was your prayer. Was everything else that you said what he wants? Is that the way he would do it? And to those that have that as their point of emphasis, he says, you can ask me whatever you want. There's a story told that I've read probably five times. Every time I've taught this section of Scripture, I'm going to just read it again to you. So if you've been here before, hopefully you'll like the reminder as much as I do. And I'll just read to you. It says, Ruth Tucker tells the story of Carrie Torchenson Malcolm, who served for 15 years as a missionary to the Philippines. Carrie was a missionary kid who grew up in China. As a teenager, she was confined for a time during World War II in an in internment camp, and there she discovered a deep truth that changed her life. In the camp, she was number 16, and only one of many Westerners who sought self-identity and comfort behind the walls and the electric fence that separated them from the outside world. There were other missionary kids in the same predicament, and often they managed to get, other, uh, get together for a few moments of prayer, prayer for freedom. But as time passed, Carrie began to feel uneasy about these times of prayer. Freedom! was becoming the ultimate goal in life. And God seemed to become less and less important, except for his answer to their prayers for freedom. She began to pray and search the Bible. Carrie came to a new outlook on life, and she no longer desired to join the others in their prayers for freedom. Her absence was immediately noticed, and she was confronted by her friend Debbie, who rebuked her. It was a hard lesson for her. As she walked away, she felt lonelier than she had ever felt in her life. It was only then that Carrie was able to pray the prayer that changed her life. Lord, I am willing to stay in this prison for the rest of my life, if only I may know you. And the point of our uh, reading the story, that I may know your will. And at that moment, she was free. A teenager figured that one out, or The Holy Spirit worked in the heart of a teenager. And I, you know, I don't really think there's anybody unless the Lord's given them discernment into your life that can show up in your life and say, You need to stop praying for that. But I know the Lord can do that. And the Lord should, we should be open to the Lord. And if we are coming and saying, Lord, what is your will? What is the purpose of your kingdom? Now, all of a sudden, we're not just thinking about getting the answer to our prayer and for that crisis or that need that is in our life. We're thinking about, Lord, how do you want to work in this crisis and this need in our life? Johnny Erickson taught a quadriplegic. She then got cancer later in life and went through the chemo and all these treatments. She was talking about how she was going um, through the treatments and how she was feeling grumpy one day. One day. One day. And how she was just kind of being a you know hard person to be with, and was kind of bossy, and was pushing, you know, or asking things to be done this way and that way, and just nobody could make her happy, and she she just was convicted by the Holy Spirit. She said, and she said, "Oh Lord, I'm sorry," and she prayed, "Lord, help me to steward this suffering. How many be a, a steward of the suffering, this resource that you've put in my life." Called suffering, called cancer, called being a quadriplegic. This is something I am required as a servant of yours to handle properly in my life. Help me to know how to walk this out. You see, this is what lies at the heart, deep in the heart of what is found here in this, you know, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is the, these two lessons from, from Carrie and from Johnny. That Lord, you have something you want to do, and it's much bigger than me just getting what I want in prayer. It's you getting what you want in prayer through my life. And when we're like the disciples, where I deny myself and I take up the cross and I'm living for you, now we can come and we can pray. And you know what I hope this does in all of our hearts is it just it kind of expands what could happen in prayer. Think about the possibility. Think about the potential and what could happen tomorrow morning in your prayer closet. Think about what could happen in my prayer closet, in our corporate times of prayer. If we come in making the name of God holy, revering and awing Him and bowing before Him and saying, You are awesome and there is none like You. And Father, what is Your will? We want what You want. And Lord, if I want something... That you don't want, then take it away. Let what heaven wants become what I want. This really needs to be a part of what's going on in our heart and our lives. And we can become so much like Carrie, where the prayer, that thing we're asking the Lord for, it becomes the ultimate goal of our life. And I would just say, if there's something like that in your life, then the Lord is speaking to you. And it's saying, let it go and cling to me. And isn't it interesting how when she let go of that which was the priority, she felt something that could never be given by walking out of the gates. She could have walked out of the gates and still felt like a captive. She was set free there. And so we need to see the Lord's plan and the Lord's priority. We come, and I don't mean this, of course I don't mean this in any kind of Eastern religion, kind of a sense, but we come and we empty our desires before God. I'm not saying empty our minds; we fill our minds with the Word of God, but we empty our desires and self-will so that He can fill us with what He wants. I remember uh, Pastor Chuck in prayer meetings um, praying. I, I just maybe it's just what stood out to me, but so often he would pray and and uh, would would say, "Lord, empty us of our desires." And fill us with the things that you want. Allow the things that you want to just become the things that we want now, Lord. And that is a really good prayer. What is that? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Earth, yeah, your address, that part of earth. Where you live, where you're driving, where you work, where you live life. Is that God's kingdom would be realized and experienced. Prayer is an awesome tool that we can use to see God's work furthered along and you and I get to be a part of it. You know, I said in the beginning that I didn't want to go through this and try and guilt you or me or any of us to be praying more because that lasts as long as the guilt lasts. But you know, I hope that the beauty of coming and, and fellowshipping with your father and coming and discovering God's plan for the for his kingdom in your life and in this congregation. I hope hopefully that's something that's just like irresistible to us. And the and the reality is this: if I'm not motivated to go and pray because I can discover God's will and his kingdom plan in my life and in, in our lives together. And that I can go and talk to my Father. And if that doesn't motivate me to pray, then, I mean, really, what is going to motivate us to pray? The answer is nothing. So maybe we, the Lord is moving in our hearts and in our lives even now to just see the beauty of communion with Him through this thing called prayer. We come to our last point, at least for today, and this verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray for God's provision. So yes, it's about praying to Him as our Father in heaven, and it is discovering His plan and His will, but that does not mean we don't ask for the things that we have need of. But we front load our prayer life so that we are centered upon the Lord, and then we ask Him for those things that we have need of. You know, God desires to take care of us. Imagine if you had to say to everybody in the row that you're sitting, from now on, you look to me for your daily bread. Just just one row. That would be more burden than any of us are capable of, of carrying out. It's like, oh my goodness. I mean every time, yeah, every time you have a need, I want you to call me. It's like, wow, well, that would be way too much. And yet God has said, though Jesus has taught us to pray for our daily bread. He wants you to come and ask him. He wants you to be dependent on him. He wants you to know that he loves you and he wants to take care of the most basic needs of your life. Praying for our daily needs. Not our lifelong needs, not our monthly needs, not our weekly needs, not our retirement needs. Our daily bread. Now, listen. And maybe God was giving us a clue here. As to what the material status would be typical for the Christian, and I think in reality this probably, you can make a really good argument that that has been the material status for most believers down through the ages, is daily bread need. But we live in this strange time where we have so much, and we have, uh, you know, if you don't have food, you know, I can assure you that you'll have food before you walk out of here. We will make certain that if, you, if you're in need, you let us know that you have that need. And the Lord will provide for you. But most of us wouldn't find ourselves in that place. Most of us would find ourselves with cupboards of food. Maybe it's not our favorite food, but cupboards of food. And we have abundance and, you know, a lot of of time and energies put into planning for retirement and saving. So we have 30 years worth of daily bread. And it's this unique time. And I'm not chastening anybody. I'm not saying stop, you know. You know, look at the ant and learn from the ant, how they store things away. It's fine. Savings is good. There's no problem there. But we really do live in a really strange time in the history of the church. To whom much is given, much is required. And we must be careful of that. But the Lord wants us to be dependent on Him. Um, moms don't usually do this. I mean, sometimes moms do this. But dads, dads have, they love to get their kids and they throw them up in the air, right? Grandmothers love it. You know, they just love to see their grandbabies flung up in the air and caught as they come down. And um, and I um, did any other dads? How many you guys do that? Just me. I'm the only one to fling my kids up and, and then I would put them on things and you know counters and have them jump off into my arms and stuff like that. And the the problem with that, listen, young dad, the problem with that is you train your kids to jump off of high things when you're around. There's more than once where they jumped off and I grabbed a leg, you know, and whew, got them just before they hit the ground because they, they got in that. Hap- but I liked that they would, that, that trust factor. I liked that. Our Heavenly Father says, ask me for your daily bread. Lean on me. Jump into my arms for those things that you have need of each and every day. If the Lord knew in your life If I knew in my life that what was needed was that I would have to come to him and ask him every day. I'm looking to him to provide that supply of food into my family's house. And yet that dependence would keep me from going astray because God knowing that if I had an abundance, my heart would go astray. What would you choose? I would choose the daily bread route because that is the most important thing. So let me just say to you. There's some in here that are rich. There are some in here that are not rich, and you have a great need. God could give you if he wanted. God could give you what you um, need and, and much more. So let's be content with what the Lord has given to us. With food and clothing, you shall be content. That's a pretty small little list there, isn't it? With food and clothing, you shall be content. So if the Lord wants to give you more, He can give you more. But if He hasn't given you more, let's just accept what has come from His hand. And that if we have to pray for daily bread, this is what He told us to, to be prepared to do anyway. There's a story told, and I'll wrap it up here with this. There's a story, there's a, an account given in the, the book of, uh, yeah. I, I said numbers earlier, last service, but it may be Deuteronomy. But, um, yeah, it's Deuteronomy. Um, where the children of Israel are coming to an end of their wilderness wandering. Which, by the way, while they were in the wilderness, what did they have to go out and get every day? Manna, their daily bread. And the Lord was a provider of that. But there came a time when the Lord says, that's not going to be the way it's going to work anymore. No longer are you going to be depending upon uh, me for this daily heavenly manna. But you're going to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. There's going to be an abundance. But this is what you got to know. I took you into the wilderness for these 40 years to humble you and to test you so that you would know that the bread comes from me. Now be careful that as you go into this land that flows with abundance that you don't forget who has supplied this for you. And that you would be lifted up in your own heart and say, look what I have provided for myself. And then you would stop following me. And so give us this day our daily bread. Dependence. Humility. I've humbled you and maybe you have the need in your life because God wants you to have that need in your life. So that you ask him, is that so bad? And the answer is no. Now, we got to work that one out in life, but it's not a bad thing. God has done it in the past, and he can has prerogative over our life and we just got to learn to trust him. God has a plan. He's active in your life. He sees you. He knows you. And you can trust him completely. And so, although we are supposed to make the name of God great in our life and those around us and to pray to our Father, it doesn't mean we can't ask him for those things that we have need of every day. But when you understand he's your provider, it's a lot easier to be content because he brings in what he wants, when he wants and we can say, all right, with food and clothing, you said I shall be content. Lord, I will be content. But do you know that he wants to hear from you? And he does want to provide for you. He's saying, ask me. Ask me for those daily things. I am interested in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you've called us into your family. You've called us as your sons and daughters to receive those things that we have need of. You want us to have our eyes fixed upon you and set upon you. Lord, we want to thank you for the provision you've brought into our life. We thank you for the abundance. and Lord, may we steward that well. Lord, if our hearts have been sidetracked with one thing that has become the goal of our life in prayer, and not your kingdom, and not your will. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to be instructed by you. We need to be corrected by you. And we welcome that because, Lord, we know that your correction comes from love, and that it comes with gentleness. And and we would invite, and we do invite, Lord, that correction into our life, both individually and also corporately, Lord. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Your kingdom, your will, Heaven's desire being lived out where we live life on this earth.